Good evening. I thought maybe tonight we would go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I haven't been as uh, good as Brother Cole. He's been singing Christmas songs for a couple weeks. I know some preachers like take the whole month and preach it out of Luke. I'm like, no, we ain't doing that. (laughs) But we'll go to Luke chapter 2 tonight. Come across some things in my reading, and they were a blessing to me, and hopefully they'll be a blessing to you. Of course, super familiar passage. Um, My old man always said familiarity breeds contempt. I think sometimes we could become so familiar with some passages that we actually miss the simplicity of it. Um, I've definitely been known to do that before. Again, uh, Luke chapter 2, you find your place and you can go ahead and stand. Uh, We're going to pick it up in verse number 8 and read some scripture and just try to jump right in and see what the Lord has for us. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, you know the first seven verses and so forth and so on. And uh, not to understate the birth of Jesus Christ, but right after here in verse 8, the Bible says, And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, that's a Chinese fellow there, the angel, just kidding, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone. Thanks for laughing. I appreciate that. Lo rhymes with Joe, so that's good. Amen. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Um, Yeah, I'd be too. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Of course, you know why they're getting a sign, right? Because they're Jews. <laughs> they're Jewish shepherds. So, And Israel requires a sign. Amen. 1 Corinthians 1.22 and 14.22. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. Now you notice there, that whole, uh, that whole verse there jumps dispensations because uh, I don't think anybody much in this nation or this country gives glory to God in the highest. And uh, there definitely isn't peace on earth. Earth, amen. But we're not, try- we're not trying to be a Grinch here. I'll explain myself in a minute. Just point that stuff on and just move on, you know. Like nothing to see here, you know. <laughs> but uh, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass... As the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. I was thinking here, I was reading this, if this was modern day shepherds, they'd be like, excuse me, I have to go post on Facebook, you know, and and I'll be back with you in about 30 minutes. But here it says in 16, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, They had made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She was a great gal, wasn't she? She was willing to keep quiet about the matter and let the Lord slowly develop it. And let the Lord peel that thing almost like an onion. Verse 20, the Bible says, And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things 
that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. As I read this passage, it came to my mind that this is what we call the Christmas story. Super familiar with it. But here you have some shepherds that were pretty special, very unique, that they got a personal message from angels and the heavenly host. Whether they were singing or not, I don't know. Uh, I don't think they were singing a little town of Bethlehem. But if they were, it would have sounded real good, amen. But what I'm saying is I look at these shepherds and it is, they get to witness the birth of Christ, not the birth, but shortly thereafter, amen. And I notice here in verse 20 that after Christmas, if you could call it that, right? Give me the liberty just for a second and I'll, I'll actually try to preach here. But they're actually better for it. They're better for it. And I got to think in many Christmas holidays, and you might not be this way, maybe you have it all under wraps and you are the golden child when it comes to surviving the Christmas season, but they come through it and they come out of it better. And I got to thinking, wouldn't that be a blessing to come through this, what this world calls Christmas, and actually be better for it? And you say, well, we can't because I, I understand that. We'll get to that. But it says, and the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Brother Larry, good to see you tonight. I know you've been working hard. Will you pray and ask the Lord to help us in the preaching? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now we know <laughs> Jesus Christ wasn't born on December 25th. Amen. We know it. And uh, as Bible-believing people, we also understand that we currently live in a country, in a nation, in a world that has not only over time and at a maddening rate injected materialism into humanism, on top of something that was developed from paganism. Did, did you stay with me on that? This message is not to tear apart everyone's Christmas traditions. Okay? Uh, but I don't want to be a Grinch. I have been accused of being mean. Um, but I'm not here to be your Grinch. Or uh, in Revelation chapter 2.13, I'm not here to be your Christmas Antipas. Now, Antipas means against everything. And as Bible believers... We have a tendency, our crowd does at least, maybe you don't fit that bill, and if you don't, well, you're better than most. But as Bible believers, we have a tendency just to be against everything. you know. And for a certain degree of militancy, that's not a bad thing. But uh, I'm not going to be your Grinch, and, uh, and I'm not going to be your Christmas Antipas, um, because if you look at Antipas, he ends up dying <laughs> for what he believes. And uh, when it comes to the birth of Christ and Christmas and whether or not you should have a Christmas tree, well, I'm just saying that's not the line in the sand you want to draw, amen? So whatever, if you want to have it, great. If you don't, great. Maybe spend some more money on food, amen? But if that's who you are, uh, let me say this, and I don't think, but I at least want to cover it. If you are the Grinch this year, I'm sure you have your reasons. If you are the Christmas Bible-believing Antipas, help yourself. Let me say this. Enjoy your sarcasm, and also enjoy your bitterness. 
And then on top of that, consider enjoying your inability to edify anyone who thinks different than you do. Amen? That's what we're really bad at. If you don't believe like I do, well, you know. And if you don't think the way I do, and if you don't have the traditions that I do, well, you must not be very spiritual. Or maybe you're just an individual that thinks for yourself and enjoys the liberty to serve one another and serve Jesus Christ. And you don't get caught up in some of that silly notions. But if you are, enjoy it. Amen. Enjoy being a braying donkey while claiming to stand for the truth. We can all step aside and listen to you bray at the brightest tone. And you can join Balaam and he can finally... Once again, have a great and noble steed to ride upon. Amen? Or you could feign yourself and dare to compare yourself to King Philip, that mighty steed ridden by Nathaniel Bedford Forrest. That was said of him, he was so trained that when he saw a blue uniform, he would bite at it and charge at it. You could compare yourself to King Philip. Or you could compare yourself... uh, if you're a, a Christmas Antipas spirit, to the mighty battle horse ridden by uh, Thomas J. Jackson, Little Sorrel, the mighty Morgan horse. I'm not calling the Morgan's horses this, or this evening. It's a, that's a type of horse. It's a Morgan. Uh, stood almost 16 hands high. Or even greater yet, with your brain, you may attain the highest honor of gentle traveler, the faithful and steadfast horse written by Robert E. Lee. The point is this. I find no profit in finger-pointing. I said that right, amen. And pointing out everyone's traditions that might be wrong. Uh, But uh, I don't want to be that guy this year. And I don't think you do too. Nevertheless, we know what Paul says in Romans chapter 14. You say, why did you give those illustrations about the horses? Well, first of all, um, you know what that horse was? It was just a vehicle to get the truth to where it needed to be. And you know what you and I are? We're just a vehicle to get the truth. We're not the truth. We have access to the truth. We have the truth within us because of the Holy Spirit. But we are just the vehicle. We're just the conduit. My mentor, my preacher, he says this, Lord, let me be a rag in your back pocket the rag of your mercy and the rag of your grace to wipe some crud off of some poor sinner. So maybe many years have passed and I've been that Christmas Antipas, but I no longer am tempted to be that way. You say, well, you've come a long way. No, it just maybe took a little bit to grow up. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, you you rise and fall to Jesus Christ, not to me. And matter of fact, you're a whole lot better in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ than judged by some man. Now, you know, we're not saying you shouldn't judge things because you should. But nevertheless, Paul says in Romans 14, 5 to 6, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. You say, what's that about? Whether or not a man regards the day or not. So if you go goopy for Christmas and cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, well, praise the Lord. You know? And if you don't, what a blessing. The less you have to clean up, the less you have to reconcile your expenses at the end of the month, right? So there's pros and cons to both. This is not whether or not you should do Christmas, but it's whether or not you're willing to look today just for a few moments 
to see the possibility you could be better when we get through this time that the world calls Christmas. Because there's some shepherds that ended up in a better way. I want to bring you into harmony with the scriptures here where the Holy Spirit might teach us a few things about the shepherds. They are in fact returning. They're glorifying and praising God. And here in the passage, the shepherds teach us some solid reasons to glorify and praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look, the reason you and I come together is so you can get something to eat. And sometimes when you get fed, sometimes it reminds you of things that you may have neglected, may have overlooked. It also could be a time when you get fed where you realize there's an aspect of truth that you have overdone. And the Lord once again wants you to be balanced. That's Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. The Lord's looking for a just balance, amen, in the Christian life. So as the season comes forward in its ascendancy and it gets to the right peak that December 25th rolls around and we're spending more time with family than we ever have before, and thank the Lord it's only a few days. But as it comes to a peak, I want you to see here the shepherds give us some reasons that we can glorify and praise the Lord. Found right in verse number 20. And I do believe we ought to return better than we came. So let me preach just for a few minutes here on reasons we can glorify and praise the Lord through this passage. You know, I, I, I titled it Returning the Right Way, but you, can put it, you, you don't have to put a title. It don't even matter. Now the reason in our passage today, beginning at verse 20, to glorify and praise the Lord, let me start with this, number one, because of what we've heard about Jesus Christ. Because of what we heard, we ought to be able to praise and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ because what we have heard about him. Uh, Bean, give me this fan back here. It's a little warm up here tonight. Verse 20 says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard. And just like those shepherds, let me just kind of like jump ahead a little bit and just say, let you and I, let's praise and give the Lord thanksgiving at this time. Let's get better at glorifying Him. That's something we don't, as a people, let's, let's face it, we're up north. Say, northern people are more reserved. No, we're dead. We're dead. We're, we're usually a million miles away, and if that's not you, you're not offended. That don't bother you. That's actually kind of funny. But I'm not saying you need to be who you're not, but northerners tend to chew on things longer than once you get south of the Mason-Dixon. You say, well, are you saying northerners are wrong and southerners are right? I didn't say that at all. I'm just saying when it comes to uh, glorifying and lifting up and publicly praising or personally praising Jesus Christ, sometimes we're, we're a wee bit timid. <laughs> we're a little quiet. And uh, you say, you're trying to work it up? No, I'm just saying in this passage, they glorified and praised the Lord Jesus Christ simply from what they heard, the Bible says. And haven't you and I heard some things this year? Haven't you and I heard some great things about the Lord Jesus Christ? I believe you and I should praise and glorify the Savior tonight simply because of things we've heard from this book. This book. Man, what a source of refuge. What a source of comfort. Just what you've heard alone from this book. Some of you have heard quite a bit this year. Uh, you say, well, tell us, preacher. Uh, tell us what we've heard from this book. Well, haven't you heard this, this year in Psalm 119, 11, 
Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That it, this book keeps you from sin. Isn't that a great message? If you and I have a problem with sin, you know, we have the way to overcome it. Christ died for us in Calvary that he might deliver us from this present evil world. And on top of that, not only are we freed from sin, we don't have to sin, but rather we choose to sin. But he gave us a book to put inside of our heart. And it has to go up here and eventually settle down here to help you and I not sin against God. You should glorify him for what you've heard from his book, how it kept you from sin. How about this, Romans chapter 15, verse 14? Not only kept you from sin, but how it has comforted you this year. I can think of a number of times this book has comforted me. The Bible says in Romans 15, 4, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. I tell you what, that is true comfort from this book when it gives you hope. You say, what hope? That he's still coming back to get us out of here. And I tell you, the Lord just sees never early. He's never late. He's right on time. And sometimes you think you need the, you need the comfort to come through, and the Lord's like, it's not time yet. And you're like, man, I'm dying out here. And like, you ain't dying. You just feel like you're dying. And then it comes through right at the right time. And boy, it gives you the right comfort, doesn't it? And you're like, thank you, Lord. And then you, you know what you learn? You learn that he'll never leave you. He's always got your best interests in mind. He'll never take one tear out of your eye that don't belong there. Well, not only has it kept you from sin, it comforted you. How about this in Psalm 119, verse 25? You and I should praise and glorify him for what heard from this book, for it's quickened us. It has quickened us. You say, what does it mean? What does that mean? It just makes you alive. You ever stop and realize when you stop reading the Bible at times, not only does it make you weak, we covered that in Sunday school, but when you get back into the book, it quickens you. It's like, it's like putting a drug in your vein. Some of you know what I mean. Some of you have been so dry and weary, and all of a sudden, you get back into the book, and like, whoo, the old Ric Flair moment there. Step on pastoral mode here for a second. I, got this, I was watching this Ric Flair video the other day. And uh, he was doing his, you know, kind of like uh, macho man. And the guy falls over and has a heart attack right in the ring. And they thought it was an act. <laughs> He's grabbing his arm. Ah, and they're all laughing. And finally, the one guy's like, okay, this guy must be serious. Get him a doctor. He's dying right there in the ring. But at any rate, yeah, yeah, thank you. But that book, it sure does quicken you. And not only does it keep you, it comforts you, it quickens you, but here in John 15, verse 3, it cleans you up. One of the main reasons when you leave, if the boys remember, Mr. Scorby plays from the time we leave to the time we return. Why? You say, you really think there's a value in putting the Word of God in the air? I sure do. And that Bible says in John 15, 3, now, now ye are clean through the Word which I have spoken to you. I mean, like, at the very entrance, the very instance, in Psalm 119, verse 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light. Man, that's ought to be something you ought to praise God for God about. You see that word praise is just publicly uh, or personally uh, uh, giving thanks and gratitude for personal favors. Hasn't the Lord given you many personal favors? Hasn't the Lord done some things for you this year and you're like, yeah, that was just for me. 
That was just for me. And then that word glorify, that just means to lift him up. To lift him up through praise. In word or thought. I was looking at Webster's 1828 and the word glorify has not only to do with word. Because we're talking about how dead we are sometimes. But how about this? You, you can glorify him with your thoughts. Thinking about what he's done all day. I'll tell you this, the more I think about what he's done, eventually it's got to come out, doesn't it? I've always taught that passage of scripture. The Bible says, I believe it's in Proverbs, eat honey as is sufficient for thee, you know, and, and uh, lest thee be filled, now vomit it up. There's the other application of that thing. If you constantly have a regular diet of the Bible, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get filled and it's going to have to come out somewhere. So it quickens us, comforts us, and it cleans us up. Well, not only that, you ought to praise and glorify him for what you heard this year about his blood. Not only about what you heard about his book, but what you've heard about his blood. John, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, the Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sins. That's an interesting uh, present tense, cleanseth. It's like when the Lord had John pen that down through the Holy Ghost that the Lord knew that someone was going to need it right now. And when you need the blood, you need it right now. You don't need to, it's not like, okay, uh, I'll make a reservation to use the blood tomorrow. <laughs> no, you need it right now. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth, that's present tense, cleanseth us from all sin. It cleanses us from all sin, not only that, but 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, it enables our communion with Jesus Christ. You see, his shed blood enables our ability to have communion with him. Not just talking about the act of uh, having the Lord's Supper, but that personal fellowship, that communion you have one-on-one -on -one with him. That's the communion, and that's because of the blood. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? It cleanses you from sin and it enables communion with Jesus Christ. And here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it draws you closer to Jesus Christ. It's the blood that draws you closer. The Bible says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now we covered this last week and we covered it also on Sunday. We know that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And of course, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? Amen. And then to back that thing up to verse 7, and uh, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us. So confession and pleading the blood takes care of forgiveness. And it takes care of cleansing. Are you clean tonight, Christian? Are you clean? A preacher I used to listen to a while back, I don't get a chance to hear him much more. And I don't know if he's got any new messages or not. But he used to make the uh, reference to the pig pen, uh, the character, the peanuts character, pig pen. Because a lot of Christians are like that pig pen character, you know. Charles Schultz drew that fellow, and he's kind of disheveled. And he's got the flies buzzing all around. A lot of Christians are like that. Why? Just, just pig pen with their life. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. But you know what that blood does? It draws us closer. It draws us closer. But now in Christ Jesus, who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of, of Christ. Well, we ought to praise and glorify him for what we've heard through the book. I heard about his blood, and of course, you know the last one, right? Well, we've heard about the blessed hope, the blessed hope. And uh, I've heard some great things about the blessed hope this year. And the shepherds, when they came back, they were praising and glorifying God for what they'd heard. 
And I'll tell you what, if you stopped and considered all of what you heard, either through uh, the preaching or listening to preaching or being a part of preaching or Sunday school or so, you've heard quite a bit this year. You sure have. Uh, maybe more than you care to <laughs> write down or take a note, amen. But uh, you know what I learned this year and heard about the, the blessed hope? I was thinking about this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, uh, that his grace is sufficient. I can praise him for that. His grace is sufficient. And uh, a lot of times in my Christian life and in your Christian life too, it's over in Titus chapter 2, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Uh, you know what we need? We don't need so much as a stick in the eye or a kick in the shins. We just need more grace. Just need more grace. We need to ask God for grace. You got a problem you can't solve? Ask the Lord for grace to solve it. You, you ever just stop and think sometimes that things between you and him, you feel so close to him one day, and the very next day it's almost like you feel like he's 100 miles away. You know what that is? That's reality. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, while he's inside of you, and you have the fullness of the Godhead in you bodily, amen? Sometimes I believe, in essence, he steps aside to see if you'll pursue him. I tell you what, uh, sometimes the shepherd is always right there. And when, when you, he breathes, you can feel him breathe. And sometimes he just goes like this. And you're like, where'd you go? Where'd you go? Oh, hey, hey, what's up? I'm right here, man. He just wants to see if you're going to pursue him. Well, the blessed hope, his grace is sufficient. How about this? His love is everlasting. I'm just trying to put you in remembrance of what you already know. None of this is earth shedding, though no theological huge nuggets, but you ever just remember what you've heard, that his love is everlasting? That's Jeremiah 31.3. He says to his own people, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. You ever stop and think of how much he loved you? He loved you this much? An everlasting love. Who can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can. That whole list there, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Well, His grace is sufficient. His love is everlasting. And one of my favorites in Titus 2.13, His return is imminent. <laughs> his return is imminent. Man, I've heard about that this year. I get fired up when I think about going home. I know this world is not my home and just passing through. It's a great song, absolute truth. I told myself for years and years and years, I'm tired of Lupton, I'm tired of Lupton, I'm tired of that little, you know, that little cottage on the backside of Hell's Half Acre, amen, you know. But you know, the older I get, I start saying, thanks, Lord. Say, why you say thanks? You get attached to it. Well, I suppose we put enough money, we get attached to it after a while, amen. It's <laughs> out the window. But the Lord reminds me from time to time, it's just a matter of days before we go home. Now, I don't know about you, it's easy to get thinking about the job and working and working and living and trying to be a parent and trying to be a husband and or if you're a woman, you're trying to be a wife. Hopefully you're not trying to be a husband, amen. <laughs> but it's easy to get stuck in the mode of life. And days evaporate. And then weeks evaporate. And next thing you know, you've stopped looking 
unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You just stop and like, that whole week went by. And I put so much effort into the job that I forgot that I have something so much greater that's coming back for me, his eminent return. The Bible says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I see it all around. People are in despair. They're, in, they're depressed. They're, they're dismayed about everything going on and relationships with the workplace and uh, the relationship that children have with their parents and uh, just the overall attitude of the lost world. They're, they're disgusted. And I feel terrible sometimes because I'm like, I'm good. Why? Because I ain't got to stay. You ever just stop and think the advantage you have as a Christian because of the imminent return of Jesus? He could come back right now. Man, that's something to praise him about. That's something to extol him. That's something to lift him up about. And then you think about the people you work with, how some of them are constantly upset, constantly depressed. They hate life. They don't have the Holy Spirit, so they look for something else to fill the void, like liquor or dope or whatever it is or, you know, this goofy music going on today. I don't even know if you call it music. Something out of a hut over in Africa or something. But the eminent return, his eminent return. Well, I want to give you the second one here. We can praise and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. We see it right from verse 20, not only by what we've heard, but notice here in verse 20, because of what we have seen. Not just what we've heard, but how about what you and I have seen this year? Bible says, glorifying and praising God in verse 20 for all the things they heard, had heard and seen. Now here, Spurgeon says, here is the sweetest music. This year, what we have experienced, what we have felt within, what we have made our own, the things we have made touching the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's not just enough to hear about the Lord. It's not just enough. How much preaching you all have endured this year? Those are hours invested into your own personal relationship with the Lord, your own personal development. I doubt there are uh, half as many people in this town or the town that you live in that invested into themselves that are not Christian as many hours as you've invested into yourself because of the local church. Might you look at it this way this coming year? I'm going to church because I want to get better. At my relationship with the Lord. I want to get better at being a better Christian. I want to, I want to be a better preacher. He's like, yeah, we want you to be a better preacher too. Amen. The, there, there's your first prayer request after Christmas. Amen. Spurgeon said, It's not enough to hear about Jesus. It's not enough. Mere hearing may tune the harp. He says, But the fingers of living faith. must create the music. If you've seen Jesus Christ with, with the God-giving sight of faith, he says, suffer no cobwebs to linger among the harp strings, but, uh, but be loud to the praise of his grace. Awake your own psalteries, your heart's psaltery and harp. It's not enough just to hear about Jesus but in that vein this evening, what have you seen this year? I mean, have not you seen his patience through the year? <laughs> Don't you ever just get disgusted at who you are? Please tell me it's just not me. 
You know, uh, Sunday night I come home and I know my wife would really appreciate it if I talked to her every once in a while, amen. And sometimes I've been plugged in, I've been in that saddle for going for so long, I get home, I just, I just, I want to go back. I want to go back in that book again. You say, why? Because Monday comes and Tuesday comes, and I look in that mirror, I said, why did you even die for me? You say, what are you saying? Haven't you seen his patience? You're going to tell me you got that all down, been there, done that, got the T-shirt? I'll tell you what, I have seen his patience this year. I know we laugh and joke, and the preacher saying is, well, we ought to be in hell with gasoline britches on. Ha, 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 but that is the truth. We ought to be in hell with our back broke. I sure thank the Lord for his patience, and haven't you seen his patience? I'm reminded of that verse in Ezra, chapter 9, verse 13. He says, our God has punished us less than our iniquities deserve. When I was uh, going to that Fruit Loop school I went to back in the 90s there, uh, they, uh, this saying went around. It's a true saying. I said, how you doing? And they're like, I'm doing better than I deserve. I'm like, you're an idiot. Now, I, he wasn't an idiot because of what he said. It just was an idiot how he said it, amen. But that is the truth. We're doing better than we deserve. But we have seen his patience throughout this year. How about this? Have you not seen his provision? Boy, I sure have this year. <laughs> boy, I was thinking even last year, I know I'm trying to corral this thing to this year, and boys and I are working on a Dollar General, and the Lord sent Brother Larry along to help us out. We were, we were at a place in our life at 10 degrees on a roof we couldn't finish, and the Lord sent Brother Larry along. That's provision. And something happened up there. You say, what? You fall off it a couple of times, amen? Just fell down. But something happened, and God's grace came. I'm just giving you, they're probably not the greatest, but personal examples. The boys know what I'm talking about. I think Brother Larry even knows what I'm talking about. Boy, he sure provides. You think you can't go any farther. But haven't you seen his provision? You know the verse. But my God shall supply all your need. Amen. How about, how about the one in Psalms? We often forget about this one because we have so much. Psalm 37, 25, David said, I've been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken. Nor a seed begging bread. Can I remind you and maybe get a little simplistic with you tonight that the Lord is even concerned about you having a physical meal? Sometimes we equate God to be some spiritual taskmaster that's only interested in something that you and I can't attain, so we try harder and harder and harder, and he's not as interested in uh, the impossible. He's just really interested in what we can do and what we're willing to do. God doesn't expect you to uh, ignore time with your spouse or ignore time with your family so you can be spiritual. He's interested in providing for us. Haven't you seen his power this year? Oh, I sure have. Of course, you know the verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul, this was Paul's lifelong plea. He says, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection. Man, I like power. 
I mean, I like big things, powerful things. Like if it's guns, I like 45s. Amen. One fella wore a shirt. He used to come to this church. A good old boy. He says, he says, you want to know why I carry a 45 on the front and on the back? Says because they don't make a 46. <laughs> I like power. I mean, stuff that blows things up and shoots and stuff like that. You know, if you're going to be a truck, it needs to be a big truck, amen? Not this little S10 stuff. <laughs> two-wheel drive. Who wants a two-wheel drive truck? You say, well, I like power. I want to know what? If you go out in the middle of a swamp, yeah, put it in four and roll out. <laughs> amen? You, you do the same thing on what you like, and they know this. A vehicle will have 87 options. And you know what you'll do? You'll see if you can click them all. And you'll try to figure out, can I afford that? And the answer is no. <laughs> but you know, you know, you've got extra, you know, you've got an extra differential under there. And every, I mean, everything. Why? You like power. I like power. Uh, I remember one preacher preached a message about little things. And he says, he says, don't you find it interesting? No one ever puts a tattoos, a picture of a sparrow on their arm. It's always like an eagle, right? Hey, look at my sparrow. It's kind of weird, isn't it, right? I mean, you see a big old bodybuilder in there, you know, preacher curling, you know, no pun intended, a couple of sparrows. You're like, what a fruit loop, man. Now you get these big old boys in there, got a big old eagle across their back, you know. You're like, oh, yeah. Right? And big, you know, these old country boys out here, they don't go, they don't, you know, get a little, uh, Chevette. I don't know. I see some of these cars at work that look like you and I could pick them up together. You know, Brother Mackay, you and I get the front, I get the back, right? You put it in your back pocket. You and I would never drive that. You would never drive that. You like power, but I'm telling you, have you not seen his power this year? Man, that's something we're praising him over. We forget, man. It's like. Life overtakes us, and we get so consumed with us and our needs, and we're so humanistic. And then he comes through in a mighty way, and you're like, oh, what a buzz. And the next day, it's something else. I'm just trying to stir up your pure minds tonight. Have you not seen his presence this year? Bible says in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, that's the angel, that's the Lord visiting the church at Laodicea. And, of course, he's been booted outside the church. You know that. And now he's knocking on the door, and you know what he wants to do? Yeah, he comes in, he's going to clean the house like he did in John. No, he just wants to come in and spend some time with you. All he wants to come in and sup. That's where you get your word supper. That's fellowship. That's all the Lord is trying to do through the power of the Holy Spirit is just have his presence with you. Haven't you, haven't you seen his presence in your own relationship with him? Haven't you seen his presence in your house and in the church house? I sure have. I've seen the Lord, I don't know, just get up here and try to do the best I can and just believe the Lord moves in in a mighty way. Sure have seen his presence. Well, let me give you the third one. We'll be done here. Reasons you and I should praise and glorify him and return the right way after this Christmas season is over. 
not only because of what they heard, not only because of what they seen, but how about this? This is one of the simplest things of all. And it's right there because of the agreement between what they had heard and what they had seen. The last part of Luke chapter 2 verse 20 says, As it was told unto them because of the agreement between what they had heard and what they would seen. Let me ask you this tonight. Have you not found the gospel to be in yourself just what the Bible would say it would be? Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And haven't you tasted? Yeah, boy, that sure is good. <laughs> oh, it sure is good. Man, aren't you glad you got the truth this, this evening? I look, I've been looking at people uh, endlessly in the school setting and seeing how unsettled people really are. You say, you just now seeing that at 48? Just now seeing it. You say, why? Well, probably like most of us, we get focused on ourselves. We get focused on where I'm going, what I got to do, and why you're not letting me do it the way I need to get it done. If I see all these people and they're so disappointed, they're so disgusted, they're so frustrated, but yet I've got the truth. And I'm like, it's okay. But for them, it's not. See what I mean? Jesus Christ said he'd give you rest in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Remember that? Come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And haven't you found the sweetest rest in Jesus Christ this year? Haven't some of you even gone closer to him in realizing you don't have to labor to please him. You're not going to take that message the wrong way. I didn't say you shouldn't labor. Rest. Isn't that funny? Jesus Christ gives you rest, but a lot of preaching today puts you right back in a sweatshop. Preachers today, are, if you listen to it, I wouldn't suggest it. Good Bible-leading preachers are constantly trying to put you in a sweatshop. Oh, you got to produce fruit. Oh, you got to produce fruit. Let me tell you what. I'll keep this G-rated. When you find someone you love and you marry them, fruit comes in time. As long as you feather the relationship. Well, Jesus Christ said he'd give you peace, right? John 14, 27. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Haven't you found some of the sweetest peace in him this year? With difficulties, unbearable trials, you got through it. And you had peace when you went through it. <laughs> Man, I've never been here before in my life. This is ridiculous. Just about the time you think you, you, you know, you're climbing up the mountain, children, you get up there, and it's like someone's up there to boot you off that thing. It's like, oh, goodbye. <laughs> I go, okay, Lord, broke every bone in my body. He said, come on, we got to go back up the mountain now. He picks you up. He helps you up the mountain. And then he teaches you on the way back up, you don't have to go as fast as you think you do. Take your time. Jesus Christ said in 1 John 1, verse 4, he'd give you joy, right? Haven't you found the greatest of joy this year? The fullest of joy? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. 
say, well, preacher, I, about that joy, I know you've got to refill every once in a while. That's in Romans chapter 15. You've got to get refilled on your joy. I understand that, but hasn't he been the one to do it? Man, too many Christian sourpusses. Let me challenge you to ask for God to fill you with joy when you're around your family. I'll feel like a phony. Well, that's your problem how you feel, amen? <laughs> it's a new thing called put a smile on your face and have fun <laughs> where you don't want to be. Or maybe you do want to be there. Maybe there's just some ruts that you get in. Just try to avoid them. Ask God for help. Fulfill you my joy, he says. Didn't Jesus Christ say in John 10, 10, I'm bringing this thing in here, put a bow on it. Didn't he say he'd give you life in John 10, 10? He said, I'm come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Haven't you seen the Lord give you more abundant life this year? I'm trying to show you the relationship between what you've heard and what you've made yours. I mean, it's exactly what he said it would be. He's never let us down. You know what he does? He not only gives you a life more abundant. I was talking to a fellow, you pray for him, his name's Ron. He said he wants to come out. He come up to me, he said, Mr. Evans, we all call each other that because you're around students and you, or I don't think you knew my first name either, which is fine, you know. He's like, what is the purpose to life? 50 years old, my heart broke. And I got scared for a minute, and it just, the Holy Spirit's like, grow up. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm growing up. And I'm like, yeah, Ron, the purpose of life is that we put a smile on the Lord Jesus Christ's face. Because the Bible says in Revelation 4 that I was created for his pleasure. And not only that, but while I'm down here trying to please him by doing whatever he asks, he's given me a Bible a bona fide fact checker that never needs any updating. So I can go through life and I can keep my balance and I can keep my bearings and I can keep my eyes on him and knowing that if I'm in this book doing what he wants me to, he'll be pleased. And not only that, I said, I get rewards if I do it with the right motive. And he's like, no kidding. You're like, well, he should have known that. Hey. You wouldn't believe how many people, if you talk to them decent and treat them decent, will actually want to have a conversation about spiritual things. About blew me away. We have this persona about ourselves sometimes, like, nobody wants the truth. They're afraid of what I know. They don't know what you know. And most of them don't care either, amen, until they start having difficulties. And they've watched you come in every single day with a smile on your face. You've got a decent attitude. You don't cuss too much, hopefully. <laughs> you don't tell the rotten jokes. You're not wasting time, so they're naturally drawn to what they don't understand. So they're drawn to Jesus Christ through you. It's like the whole principle about Enoch. The more he walked with God, the more they saw the Lord and not him. And Enoch was not, but God took him. He said he'd give you life, life more abundant, Eternal life, purpose in life, a reason for life, and how about this one? A life worth living. Haven't you ever in your own despondency and depression said, what's it worth? What's it worth? 
Nobody understands me. You might be truthful. You might be telling the truth. Nobody here does, but he understands. He was at all points tempted, yet without sin. The Bible says Elias was a man of like passions, right? I can guarantee you that maybe people in your family don't understand what you're dealing with, what you're going through, but Jesus Christ understands. He has, if I can say it in modern vernacular, been there, done that. He's got the t-shirt. The shepherds returned and they praised and glorified God. I hope I'm not just rambling but trying to help you tonight. For what they had heard, what they had seen, and the agreement between what they had heard and seen. Surely you can resound and say something similar to what the Queen of Sheba said. The half has not been told me. I have found Christ more sweet than his servants ever said he was. I looked upon his likeness as they painted it, but it was a mere daub compared with himself, for the king and his beauty outshines all imaginable loveliness. Ain't that something? Surely there's been times this year where he was so near and close to you that you could echo the words that the men on the road to Emmaus said, did not our heart burn within us? Well, I hope you agree tonight what a wonderful and magnificent place we are at right now to glorify and praise the Lord in word and even in thought for all we've heard, all we've seen, and all the agreement therein. Surely what we have seen far exceeds what we've heard. I would challenge you as we bring this thing to a close at the end of this Christmas season might you be in the place where you can glorify and praise our Savior who is so precious, so superb, and yet so satisfying. All right, why don't you stand? We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.